The Gateway Arch is a 630-foot stainless steel, internationally recognized symbol downtown St. Louis. If you ever go there and visit it, you'll see Gateway Arch and various signs that say, Gateway to the West. St. Louis is known as the Gateway City, the, the Gateway to the West Coast. A gateway is an opening that can be shut by a gate. So if you go to gated communities where people live, and there's a gate, and then someone opens the gate, that opening would be called the gateway, the, the entrance into the homes. In many ways, the first psalm is the gateway to the rest of the psalms. All of the psalms are very important, but if we overlook the first psalm, we'll not really fully grasp the rest of the psalms. The reason why I bring that up is because today we're starting our new sermon series in the book of Psalms. We're calling it Summer Psalms. The word psalms comes from a word psalmos, which means song. So the, the psalms are literally songs. There's 150 of them. And when the people of God in the ancient Near East in Israel would gather for corporate worship, when it was time to sing, they sung the psalms. And in churches today, they, some churches hold to something called exclusive psalmody, which means that they exclusively only sing the psalms during the corporate singing. Now, I think that's taking it too far because hymns and spiritual songs and contemporary music is important. But I appreciate their desire to say, this is in the Bible. This is, these are God's words. This is what the people of God have always sung. We want to sing them too. And the Psalms are what Christ himself would have read and sung. So when Jesus went to the temple to be with the people of God, he would have sung the Psalms. The, the Old Testament is what Christ read. So every time you read the Old Testament, you're, 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 re you're reading the words that Jesus himself would have read especially the first five books and many of the Psalms. And the Psalms have been a fan favorite, so to speak, for the centuries because they tap into our emotions. Men and women both have emotions and it's problematic to ignore them or not to process them correctly. And in the Psalms what we see is grief and lament and weeping and even cursing enemies. They are the key to understanding how do we process our emotions in a fallen world. And if you read them enough and you allow them to sink into your heart, they'll not only help you process your emotions better, but also to shape your emotions. They are a especially relevant for times of darkness and times of suffering. So we look at the first psalm today, and it raises the bar really high for the rest of the psalms. It sets the tone for the rest of the psalter. Psalter just means the, the psalms, all 150 of them. And the first psalm is about being happy. It's about choosing the path of blessedness, so to speak. And in the psalm, we see a contrast. 
the psalmist sets up two different ways to live. There's, there's not a third option. There's no third option, fourth option, fifth option. There's, there's two ways to live. He shows the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked. The, the way of those who are saved, the ways of those who aren't. The effects of obeying God and the effects of displeasing God. They show the, the present realities of what it, what it means to align your life behind the word of God. What, what does that look like, the, the positive effects of it? And, and various psalms have different labels, and Psalm 1 has been labeled as a wisdom psalm or a didactic psalm. Didactic means teaching. It, it teaches us something. And the, the teaching today is how to be happy in God's world. It may surprise us that it addressed happiness because deep down sometimes in the church, I think we sort of shrug at the notion of being glad in God. We sometimes wonder if God even cares about our personal happiness that's even important to him. Or maybe we secretly wonder if a life of sinful pleasure or sinful rebellion is the way to happiness and obeying God just leads to misery. This psalm actually says the opposite. And the challenge, the call is to choose God's path for happiness, for the state of blessing. We'll look at every verse, but we're going to emphasize the first two verses. And verse 1 says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The very first word in Psalm 1 is blessed. The very first word. That word in Hebrew translates as happy. That's the first word in the book of Psalms is happy. It's like God's trying to get our attention right away. Yes, there's the crying. Yes, there's the weeping. Yes, there's the lament. Yes, there's the grief. We're going to get to that. But, but, but first, this is the instruction you need to know to be happy in God's world. In his commentary on Psalms, Dr. William Van Gimmeren writes, the word happy is a good rendition, rendition means translation, of blessed, provided one keeps in mind that the condition of bliss is not merely a feeling. Even when the righteous do not feel happy, they are still considered blessed from God's perspective. He, that is God, bestows this gift on them, Neither negative feelings nor adverse conditions can take away his blessing. When Jesus gave his famous sermon on the mount, when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Now, when he said blessed, 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 that word blessed is the Greek equivalent of happy. So even Jesus himself talked about this is what it looks like to live happy under God's rule in the Old Testament and in the New we see, want to be happy God's way. This is, this is what you do. Sometimes we hear people say, God wants you to be holy, not happy. That advice is misguided. It sounds spiritual, but what we actually see is, is both. God wants both. But how? How do we do that? According to this passage, there's a thing you, you have to do, and there's a thing that you shouldn't do. In other words, it's stated negatively, 
and then positively. The psalmist gives you, hey, hey, don't do this, and then make sure you do this. That's what he says. So the first thing he says to avoid negatively is, well, he says, walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Then he says, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So we say, walks not, nor, nor, negative. What is he saying? To put it strongly, he's saying this. Don't let ungodly people influence you. Don't let those who have not embraced a saving relationship with Yahweh, Old Testament covenant name for God, affect the way you think and live in this fallen world. If you do what they do or follow their advice, that will eventually lead to misery. So he even uses words like, verbs like walks, stands, and sits. This is, these are action words to, to show that if you're under the influence of the ungodly, it's because we decided to walk that way. And to get out of the path, there needs to be action taken away. T- action taken as well. Uh, in the original, the language is so strong that, that he's saying, never stand in the way of evil. And he gives these categories of the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. These, this is strong language to say, just anyone who's not a believer in Christ, anyone who mocks God, says there is no God, anyone who doesn't want to live and wrap their whole life around living for God. The scoffers in the book of Proverbs is a category that's worse than a fool, one, one who is just not teachable and they're o- they think they're always right and their ways clearly contradict God's word. These people uh, need to be treated with value, dignity, and respect. But if they influence on social media or influence in your own personal life or encourage you to live contrary to God's word, it it will prevent you from experiencing this, this happiness that this psalmist outlines. When I, I played a organized American football in high school, and every summer we would go to uh, Mizzou, University of Missouri-Columbia had this football camp, and there would be hundreds of kids, speed, agil- agility, strength, uh, running routes, catching the ball, throwing, there'd be scouts everywhere, you know, uh, 1,000, 2,000 kids, and people were getting scholarships there, and it was always an encouraging but stressful time, but uh, at, the, at the very end, the head football coach at the time his name was Gary Pinkle, and Mizzou football was really good at that time, and he would just sort of have this speech for all the athletes that were there, and uh, that he, he gave 10-minute speech. I don't remember nine minutes of it, but there was one line that he, he said that stood out to me all throughout my high school years when he said, you are who you hang around. Uh, many personal development gurus will say, you become like the five people you hang out with the most. Now, we can tweak that a little bit, you know, it's maybe too narrow-minded, but the general theme is found in Scripture, that the company you keep, the people you do life with, affects the way you live. Uh, it says that in Proverbs thirteen twenty, where the proverb says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm read an article called Peer Pressure Stronger Than Parents. U.S. psychologists in the article said that children learn more from their peers than from their parents. She said that even if kids grow up in a disciplined household, 
they are just as likely to become unruly as one raised in a chaotic home if the child mixes with poorly behaved classmates at a young age. She went on to say that outside influences such as pop culture, friends, or street gangs have a much greater influence on children than family life or even genetic makeup. Who we, who we decide to hang out with is not a matter of fun, not fun, but a matter of life and death. Um, it's so good to have friends in our lives who are telling about Jesus. People that we want to share the gospel with. High school friends, college buddies, th- those that we work with. We want to befriend people and invite them into this saving relationship with Jesus because their eternity is the most important thing. It is, it is such a good thing to shine our light and to, to, to befriend those on the outside. And having these sort of friendships in our relationships in life are, are important. But, but sometimes uh, those who we, we maybe start to befriend or want to get to know for the purpose of just, just having friends or influencing them to come to Christ and believe in Jesus, uh, they might end up having more of an influence on you than, than you on them. So we have to ask with our friends, uh, does this person have a negative influence on me? Or do I have a positive influence on them? And if they're, they're causing me to think differently, act differently, sin secretly without other people knowing besides them, then maybe it's time to re-examine the friendship. Maybe put up an appropriate boundary. It's really, really hard to do this. It can feel lonely. It can feel isolating. But thankfully, God has put each and every believer in the context of a local church. And in the local churches where we find those who have received Christ, who love Jesus, who want to walk with him. And it's in the context of the church where we naturally find friendships where we cannot just, just hang out, but actually encourage one another in our faith. It's, it's essential for this sort of state of blessedness, this state of happiness that, that we allow the influences in our life, the loudest voices to be the people of God. This is also true for social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We want to exercise wisdom and be wise, but if, if there's content on there that's sinful or inappropriate or rude, or maybe someone from high school you don't talk to anymore or a college person, there, there's no reason why you can't just click mute or block or unfriend. It, it might feel kind of dirty at first, like you did something wrong, but, but really you're not. You're just following someone. If, if the content is uh, on, the, on the level of being a scoffer or foolish or doesn't align with God's word, it, it, it consciously or subconsciously affects you. So even on social media platforms uh, like Facebook, we should feel free to unfriend and unfollow or mute the voices that influence us negatively. That would be a direct application of Psalm chapter 1. This is essential for personal blessedness, for personal happiness, is to allow the voices that influence us be the voices of truth as revealed in the word of God. So the negative, don't stand in the seat of scoffers, sinners, mockers, the wicked. He's saying, don't, don't allow them to, don't let their counsel, is the word he uses, affect the way you live. But instead, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the negative, stay away or put up severe boundaries for those who influence you negatively. Positive, immerse yourself in the word of God. That's the formula that we see in Psalm 1 for this personal state of happiness and blessing in this fallen world. He, he calls the word of God, the law, his delight, his joy, his pleasure. They, they didn't even have the New Testament yet. And he's looking at the rules and the laws and the instruction in the Old Testament, not as a burden, but as a delight. That word delight is used in other contexts to show delight in gold or the way a man feels about his spouse. That, that's the, the level of delight he feels for the Old Testament. And in our 21st century context, as believers, it would be saying like, love the Bible. Delight in the word of God. The truly happy person is the one who invites God's instruction and is rooted in the word of God. This is a, a call to a commitment once again to the word of God, to absorbing, reading, memorizing, meditating on scripture. One in this fallen world can only be so happy without knowledge of God. Find that knowledge of God when I study scripture, when I read theology, when I read Christian books, sets me on fire to know God more, to walk with him. This is not just a clergy thing. This is not just for the, the seminary guys or the guys who preach every once in a while. This is, this is for every, every believer, every Christian. Just, I want to be happy. My life is short. I want to do things God's way. I need to consume his word. I heard a professor of theology once saying in a seminary class, he said something that I thought was kind of silly or almost trite, but he said, he said this, do you want to be happy? And everyone was like, mm -hmm. you know, of course everyone's going to say that. He was like, then read your Bible. And at first when I thought that, I was like, that is so oversimplistic. It was kind of off-putting to me. I didn't I don't get really encouraged by little one-liners here or there, you know. I just thought, well, what does that mean? But as I thought about his sentence over the years, over the past four or five years, and I'm reading Psalm 1, it's, it's exactly what Psalm 1 is saying. Psalm 1 actually adds to it because Psalm 1 says, meditate. He says, meditate on his law, the word of God, the Old Testament, day and night. Uh, I can go on Amazon right now. I got Amazon Prime. Find an ESV Bible, NIV Bible, NASB, New King James, and click it. It'll be at my home in two days. Two days later. There's a bunch of Bibles in this church right now. But back in the ancient Near East, at this time, not everyone had access to the Bible that easily. They didn't have access to the words of God. So when they did have it, they memorized it and meditated on it because they didn't know when they were going to see it next. So, so, so scripture memorization and meditation has been essentially unbelievably helpful for the people of God since day one. Uh, to, to meditate on scripture, one first has to, to memorize it. To memorize it, one first has to learn it and read it. I spent um, this spring, I, I memorized, I don't know, 10 verses or so in the book of 1 Peter. Just every morning, just reading one verse aloud 10 times, writing it down. 
and then trying to recall it to myself 10 times. If I needed help, I looked, I'm, okay, there's not a competition, I'm not competing against anyone, right? I, need, I just looked at it, and I just tried to drill each verse in my head over and over again. I did this for uh, a month or so, and just, I found that just, just reading the scripture and memorizing it and meditating on it took it to a whole new level of experiencing the power of God's word. And when he says day and night, he's not saying literally every second of the day. No one can meditate on scripture every second of the day. When he says day and night, what he's saying is with every situation you face, you think about God's word and you try to apply it in that real life situation. That's essentially what wisdom means. Applying the Bible. Making the right decisions. Uh, In his song, 10,000 Reasons, Matt Redmond says this. He says, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. It's like he he wakes up in the morning and it's almost like he's saying this to himself. I love that little line. It's like when I, by by the time I get home and I have to deal with these kids and I deal with my husband, I'd had a long day at work. Let me be singing. Let me be singing your praises, God, regardless of what happened that day. I can't control everything. I can barely control anything. And yet, when I get home, I still want to be singing and having this state of joy. And I think that's only possible when we apply God's word to every situation we face. This was God's call to Joshua before entering the promised land where we read this, Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one for 40 days, It was the book of Deuteronomy that Jesus quoted from memory to fight against the evil one. Jesus felt it necessary to take the time to read the Old Testament, to memorize and meditate on it. We should gladly follow his example. I was talking to my friend Greg. My friend Greg is married to a gal named Sylvia, and he he was telling me how when he first started to, you know, text her, talk to her, enter into a dating relationship. They were going out on dates. That, uh, they, would, they would send text messages to each other. And he was saying that, you know, they've been married over 10 years now. And they were saying that when, when his wife would text him, he would just open his phone and couldn't wait to hear from her. Just, Man, she texted me back. Look at that. You know, there was no emojis back then, but maybe she could have used emojis and he would have got really excited. And he would text her back, and they would text, and he would read them, and they would write letters to one another. And the words that she sent him meant, meant a lot to him. Or, or if she didn't text him back, took a couple days, maybe he, got, he freaked out a little bit and reread his last text and wondered if his grammar was so bad that maybe that was off-putting to her. Oh, no, she's going to end this relationship. And then she texts back, ding, and he's super excited to hear from her again. It's like the words, like when you first start to fall in love with someone, if you have had that experience, the texting and the words or email or the fax machine or whatever it is, depends what generation you come from. When you hear from somebody and you hear the words, 
you're very excited. My wife and I were at a ministry retreat thing, and a pastor and his wife were, they had a stool, and the rest of us were listening, and the pastor shared that he was an undergrad major in creative writing. He loved Shakespeare, and he would write his wife love letters when they first started dating. He told us that. Then his wife looked at him and said, yeah, he used to do that. I feel like sometimes we do that with the Word of God, where at first we become a Christian, maybe junior high, high school, younger, or there's a season of our life where we get motivated, that motivation dwindles after 60 days or so, a month, where we can't wait to wake up early to read the Word of God, to read, schedule a meeting with pastors, talk to him about it, be the first one to speak up in a small group setting, just just try to carve out any audio time in the car. We're really busy, but we can't sit down and read, so we, we put it on as we drive to work. We just love hearing from God this new relationship of, man, all my sins have been wiped away, past, present, and future. Like, I have a home in heaven. Like, I, I really want to know this God as best as I can. Then life happens. Get married or have a kid or... You really want to become successful in your career. And there's distractions. And all these distractions that promise happiness, and some of them do, but when we neglect to go back to the Word of God, there's, there's only so much we can do to experience this blessing that the psalmist talks about. Allow today to be the day where you rekindle that fire for God in His Word. This is what will happen to you. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So this is, this is what the psalmist is saying. In verses 3 and 4, he sets up once again a contrast, a simile. A simile in the English language is when someone uses figure of speech to compare you to something else. So he's saying is if you choose the right people and have the voices of truth speak into your life and you take up the word of God and immerse yourself in it, you will be like a tree. This is a metaphor. This was back in the Middle Eastern climate where it's really hot and sandy most of the year. And nevertheless, many, many trees can die it's a living organism. It can, you can kill it, or it can thrive, depending if it was nurtured well, if the water is there. And he's saying, despite being in this agricultural area where trees die all the time because of the sun, he's saying, if you take up the word of God and you have the right Christian friends, you will be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. You will be strong. You will be stable. You will be consistent. Things won't shake you as much. He says you'll bear fruit in its season. Fruit is a common metaphor in Scripture for growth, spiritual growth. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the attributes of a Christian. Those are the sort of signs we're growing, if we're growing in those things. He's saying not only will you be benefited from it, but those who are in your life will be blessed from it as well. When a tree grows fruit, the tree, the tree doesn't eat it. 
the farmer will take it and give it to someone else. He's saying it's a win for you, not only for you, but other people around you. You'll be stable like a tree. You will be blessed. You will not only be blessed yourself, but those in your life will experience blessing through you. But for those who ignore God's instruction for happiness in this fallen world, the psalmist says, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away. This is another farming illustration. Uh, chaff or husk and straw are removed by threshing and is lighter, lighter than edible kernels. It's uh, when a farmer tosses threshed wheat into the air, the, the wind drives the shaft away. Saying that that's sort of the metaphor that we see again for those who ignore God's instruction. They're, they're like the shaft will be driven away. To be straightforward, he's saying they're, they're not as useful and getting rid of them is easy. It's only through wind, whereas God's saying getting rid of the wicked in the end is easy for him too. This is the effects of either abiding by God's word or ignoring it. He says, verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The word therefore is telling us that the psalm is coming to a conclusion. It talks about judgment. Nor will they stand in the judgment. Judgment there could either be present judgment for not obeying God or most likely future judgment. And one of, one of the, the motivations to obey God, to, to wrap your whole life around his word is because of the reality of judgment that's found all throughout New Testament and Old Testament. That one day, each and every one of us will give a verbal account to God for our lives. And how we spent our lives and how we used our time, money, energy, resources. And, and, and the big thing on that day is, do we, do we know God? Am I saved? Is my profession of faith aligning with what I do when it's not Sunday? This is, this is not a shame to, to anyone. We, we all stumble in sin in many ways. The fact that there's time left still shows that this, this gracious invitation to be ready to be judged by God is available to anyone. Because Christ himself died on the cross in your place and for your sins. And when you believe in him, all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And Christ's righteousness is given to you. And the evidence of our belief is our obedience to God throughout the week. Not perfectly, but there should be obedience. Nevertheless, the psalmist says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Even any uh, material possessions, success, money, any, anything that seems so amazing right now will be nothing compared to knowing Christ and spending an eternity with him. For the righteous, though, it says, verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word knows there is a very deep, intimate knowledge, a, 
a good translation is watches over. He, he knows with affection and approval those who are striving to obey his word, those who are striving to keep the right company. And he knows and he sees and he blesses. And yet the last word of this psalm is perish. First word is blessed, last word is perish. It shows the right contrast. It shows the, the path of happiness and the path of wickedness. And the call for the opening psalm is to choose the right path. It's to consider those who influence you and allow those who influence you be the voices of truth. It's a call once again to rekindle your love for the word of God despite the past five years, despite 2021, despite 2020. There's no today. Decide again. I want to know the word of God. I want to immerse myself in it. I want to obey it because I want to be happy. And God prescribes his outline of happiness right away here in Psalm 1. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you really care about us. That you really care about stuff like happiness and how we're doing. Lord, you're not the God who says, go evangelize. Go tell everyone about Jesus. Go, go do this. Go do that. Give everything away. Don't, don't, don't enjoy nothing. I, I, you don't say that. You say some of those things with respect to evangelism and, and moving and calling sacrifices, but you want us to have a heart that loves you. And you decided to reveal yourself in a book. And we thank you, God, that you're a God who knows us intimately and you know our hearts. Lord, we fail in many ways. Lord, please allow uh, let there not be any distractions that prevent us from being immersed in the word of God. Busy, busy on our phone and email and social media and work and all of these things are necessary and can be good, but the, the one thing that is most necessary is to be in your presence every day. Lord, please give us the strength to do that. Help us to follow the instruction of Psalm 1, we pray. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.